everybody, welcome to the Afterword. This is Dave Tish, and I am excited because it's officially Christmas season. It is after Thanksgiving. Nobody can say anything about you playing Christmas songs or hanging up your Christmas lights or putting up your Christmas tree. It's officially legal. I'm so excited. Christmas season is finally here. Now, in the Christian calendar, we call this season Advent, and it's a time where traditionally Christians have focused their hearts and minds on what the birth of Christ means for not only their lives, not only for the lives of their friends and family, but for the whole world. And we start to prepare for Christmas. And by prepare, I don't mean shop for good Black Friday deals at Amazon. I'm talking about preparing our hearts and thinking about Jesus during the season. It's a time of hope. It's a time of really thinking deeply about all these things. And so we have started our brand new sermon series called Adorning the Darkness. Now, this week, I'm going to talk with Jay Kim about the first week of our series, we cover all sorts of ground this week. We talk about Jesus, his birth, the opening pages of Matthew. We talk about Taylor Swift and how she covered Wham's last Christmas. We talk about Chernobyl, and we even lose track of how many years ago that happened. It was actually 1986 that happened. Neither Jay or I knew that. We had to look it up after the fact. There's a whole lot to cover. And at the end of the podcast, I press Jay for his favorite all-time Christmas song, and uh, he reveals that answer. And then uh, stay tuned at the end of the podcast because we have a special treat for you, a, a Christmas treat, a Christmas surprise. Regardless, it's the Christmas season, people. It's time to get happy. Let's get into it on this week's episode of The Afterword. So, uh, let me ask you a question. How is your foot? Are we recording right now? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterward here with Jay Kim. Hello. Jay, first question. How is your foot? It's okay. Does it hurt? It hurts. I'm, I'm wearing a walking boot right now. You're wearing a walking boot? See. Yeah. So, oh. it'll be all right. Thank you for the... Uh, the kind words and prayers on Sunday from many people. It was very nice. Also, I mean, I know my foot is in pain, but not as much pain as Dave, who I'm sitting here with um, right now. He's wearing a an Ohio State Buckeyes sweater. And um, if you all know, Ohio State this past weekend mm. lost their big game to uh, the University of Michigan. First time during the Jim Harbaugh era that Harbaugh has defeated Ohio State. And Dave... Is in real pain, people. Real pain. At one point during the second half, I just left the house. Because I was in a house full of Michigan grads. If you don't know, I'm from Ohio. I grew up in the shadow of the horseshoe on the banks of the Omentangi. Beautiful. I bleed scarlet and gray. I love the Buckeyes, and I married a Michigan grad. I married... A woman who's more Wolverine than Hugh Jackman. And, and Nicole was posting pictures on Oh, she was Facebook. ecstatic. I mean, they, I mean kicked, they kicked Ohio State's butt. Yeah, it was and bad. The, anyway. Yeah. So speaking of darkness, <laughs> <laughs> this past weekend, um, first of all, I just, we wanted to talk. Sorry we're late. We're, we're a little bit late with the afterward because of the holiday weekend. We'll get back on schedule. But this past weekend, we, we kicked off a new series called Adorning the Darkness. Yeah. And um, this, I, the idea of light versus dark and the idea of the advent is about the light coming into a world of darkness. Yes. And uh, so first of all, where that idea come from? Was it like a quote or something? I just yeah. wonder where this came from. Well, okay. So the real inspiration behind it, 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 our series don't usually begin this way, 
but it began with a creative inspiration, not the content. Uh, we knew, obviously, you know, we knew we were going to be an advent. We want to talk about sort of the journey to Christmas and all those things. And a year or two ago, I read a book by um, Andrew Peterson, who is an author and also a prolific songwriter. Yeah. And um, he wrote a book called Adorning the Dark. And it's actually not about Christmas. It's about the creative process. Um, he's a Christian, and it's about the creative process for those who are followers of Jesus. And how he talks about how, you know, he's a songwriter, he's he wrote an author. A, he wrote, he wrote the song that we sing, uh, the one about, uh, do you feel the world is broken? Yes, we that do. one. Yes. Uh, do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Yeah. Yeah, What's yeah. the name of that song? Uh, I forget. I forget. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone knows that song. Right, yeah, right. that's Andrew Peterson. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, so he wrote this book about the creative process, and he talks about how, as a Christian, when you create good in the world, it's a way to adorn mm-hmm. the darkness in the world with light. And it's a fantastic book, and I was always sort of, was struck by the beauty of that concept. And then as we were talking about Advent, you know, Christmas and Advent is a season of light. You know, I mean, like, I'm going to take my kids to Christmas in the park and yeah. the Vasona Park Lights Show. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. like, kids just literally light up in, 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 in during this season because of all the lights. And, yeah. and then I, I, as I thought about it, it's only beautiful in the darkness. I mean... You know, if you go on, like, the uh, um, Vasona Park, you know, the drive with yeah. the lights that they do there, all of the open reservations are for, like, 4.30 p.m. and early. <laughs> because nobody wants to go because right. it's still daylight. It's not really that beautiful. Yeah. All the reservations for 5 p.m. And, p.m. and later are all booked up, like, months in advance because that's when it gets dark and that's when the lights are really going to pop and, you're, you know, and it's really beautiful and mesmerizing. And so uh, as I thought about it, I thought, man, that's, that's what this season is. We yeah. journey into the dark. Yeah. And we journey into the darkness of our world and our lives. Yeah. But that darkness is not hopeless. And yeah. in fact, that darkness, uh, when we think about um, Christ who has come and is coming again, that darkness actually becomes the backdrop to beauty and to goodness. So there you go. That's Well, one that. of the things we also, as you were speaking, one of the things that kind of came to my mind is the way that we've sanitized the Christmas story and gotten rid of the darkness. And I don't mean the darkness like, oh, it was on a dark night that Jesus was born. I'm talking about the darkness that surrounds it. For example, there's that verse, a voice cries out in the wilderness, uh, Israel mourns for her children. And the reason why is because Herod has just killed hundreds of toddlers. That's right. In in trying to kill the king, the eventual Messiah. There's some Real, there's the darkness of the Roman oppression. Yeah, there's the, well, there's darkness even in the in the little parts of the story. They're not really little; they feel little. But like, you know, we sanitize to your point, Mary and Joseph. Yeah, and the nativity scenes and on the front yards. Yeah. It makes it feel like oh, they were like these pristine characters who were just always at peace, and then these beautiful shepherd boys who have like perfect skin. And it's like, no, that's not what it would have been like. Mm-hmm. I mean. Joseph and Mary uh, were peasants, you know, 
it, it was deep scandal that this young girl, young girl, not woman, girl. Right, she's 15, 16. What, maybe younger. Maybe younger. You know, yeah. Joseph is likely in his 20s. Uh, the way marriage worked in the Jewish world, their families probably had known each other for ma- many years. Um, Joseph and Mary probably had known each other since Mary was a very little girl. Maybe Joseph was a teenager. They knew they were going to be married, um, but they didn't really know each other. I mean, everything about it is already awkward, and now you throw this immense scandal into it. It would have been a, an utter shame to their entire families, both of their families, you know. Uh, Mary could have been killed for that, for adultery, you know, what, what could have been seen as adultery so like and and, you know there's no room for them for her to give birth to this child and they end up in a cave i mean everything about it is like dirty and and yucky you know and uh the magi we'll talk about this in the series as well but the magi who come they're not like these like incredible godly figures they're pagan like Mm. these are the last people you would think they're like pagan astrologers yeah you know so and then of course to your point Herod, just like literally reenacting, um, you know, uh, the Exodus killing, the, the Exodus babies. killing. Yeah. yeah. When Moses is born, like the murdering of all these children. So it, I government mean, state sponsored genocide. I mean, yeah. this is dark stuff. Yeah. Really dark. And we don't have Christmas carols about it. It's silent night, yes. which is also beautiful, which is true. But we yeah. land. Yeah, yeah. We, we're we're often too quick to land at the light. Mm-hmm. But the light isn't as powerful when you don't see it against the backdrop yeah. of the darkness. So. What's interesting is just in a weird way, even in this season, I think the older you get, the more you see like life as it is. And I, you know, when I was a kid, everything was like, oh, Christmas and it's bright and beautiful and cheery. Yeah. And this year I have three friends, dear friends, whose dads have been diagnosed with cancer mm. just this year. Yeah. And it's it's getting, I'm getting to the age where, our parents are getting older where things are happening, cancer and sickness and disease and illness. Yesterday after the sermon, I got an email right after the sermon and a woman, you know, if you heard the sermon, I opened with a story about Johnny Cash. Oh yeah. Johnny Cash in Folsom Folsom prison. She emails me and she says, can I get a video of that sermon? I want to send it to my son who is in prison and he needs light in that dark place. So to your point, yeah, that like, as we age, as we get older, we realize the world is a really dark place, but that doesn't mean it's hopeless. Right. So that's the second thing I wanted to talk about was, and um, again, and the Isaiah quote is so beautiful. The people who walked in darkness have seen a light, you know, and for those who, yeah, yeah, for those who walk in darkness, whether it's, uh, there's darkness in our world. If darkness is meant to suggest confusion, mm. uh, of losing your way, of not yeah. knowing where you're going, of yeah. of the darkness inside and out, that's why that that verse is so hopeful. Yeah. The second thing you did is um, toward the end of the sermon, um, you talked about. Um, I thought it was really interesting. You talked about your families of origin. Yeah. And the darkness, and, and, and darkness is kind of a metaphor for sin. Yeah. Right. It, yep. it, it's used in the Bible. In the Bible, is, yeah. it's used again and again. And light, of course, is God's work yeah. for God's redeeming work. Yep. Uh, the hope of God's redeeming work. All those things. Uh, but darkness is is meant to suggest. Uh, oftentimes, when when people talk about sin, or when I was told about sin, it's only couched in my personal transgressions, the things that I have done. Mm-hmm. 
And what was interesting about that is you talked about, like, and very powerful, it was really emotional, at least for me, because um, I know a little bit of your story, was the idea that I didn't choose my family of origin. You said, why didn't I get a dad who threw the ball yeah. and played catch with me in the front yard? Yeah. And I think that what you were doing there, and I wondered if this was intentional, is you expanded the definition of sin, mm. which sometimes can be narrowly tailored to only include that which we have done, yeah. the transgressions and the choices that we have made. But sin biblically is actually bigger than that. Darkness is bigger than that. Yeah. Darkness is the things that have been done to us also. Yeah. And um, there's also a word in, in the scripture, the defiled. Yeah. And that means the sin that has been done near to us that has hurt us or defiled us. Yeah. And that word defiled is weird, but basically I think about like an alcoholic, uh, a child born to a family of um, alcoholism and having the, the father come home and like, beat his his mother mm. and a child watching that that defiles the child that creates an environment yes. that hurts did you intentionally try to expand the definition of darkness and sin so that people could have a broader understanding of it well yeah. or, or was that just was that part of your goal or right yeah you know i, I didn't think about it as uh as intentionally i didn't think okay here's an opportunity for me to expand our understanding of sin uh, but I, I do think that just naturally comes out of me because to your point, that is how I naturally think about sin. So I, I'm glad we're having this conversation uh, because I didn't think about it as much. But I, I do understand why that might be somewhat paradigm shifting for folks, because I, I do think uh, and, and this is connected to <laughs> lots of things. But w one of the things it's connected to is sort of the hyper individualization yeah. of our faith. Yeah in the modern Western world. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's good and bad to it, but, you know, the bad of it is on both sides. Um, well, the, yeah, the, the, the thing that's unhelpful is we often think about sin only as, like you said, individual. You know, it's the bad stuff I do. And then what happens is we then think about salvation from sin as only individual. It's God rescuing me from the bad things I do and the bad consequences that mm -hmm. face me. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this a lot at Westgate, even on the Afterward podcast. Um, the story of God is far more communal than we're even comfortable with in some ways. Yeah. It, you know, biblically speaking, the story of God is about God's work through his people and in his people for the sake of the world. And yes, we as individuals are swept up in that story for sure. So sin is individual. Like it is my wrongdoing. It's the stuff that I, the misaligned sort of longings and desires of my heart and actions and thoughts and words and deed and all those things it is. But sin is much more than that. Yeah. Sin is um, sort of uh, the the depraved, broken state of the world as it is. Yeah. You know, post-fall, post-Genesis 3, sin is like, you know, our, our good friend Dan Kimball has this beautiful outline in his book, How Not to Read the Bible, and it shows how in Genesis 3, when sin enters the human story, what it does is it's like a nuclear bomb going off. And you think about like Chernobyl. Yeah. You know, and the fallout, the radiation and, fallout. Yeah, yeah. And people still can't go and live. Chernobyl is still uninhabitable. Yeah. Because even though that happened, whatever, 40 years ago or something, 30, 40 years ago, um, there is still the fallout, the radiation lingering mm -hmm. in the air and in the atmosphere, and it's uninhabitable. Yeah. Well, that's sin. So we're born into. Um, 
really, truly, as far as God's concerned, an uninhabitable reality. Like human reality, the world as it is, is not designed for humans as God intended us to be, um, to be able to inhabit and flourish and thrive. Mm -hmm. So we're born into sin. And what that, that means you as an individual are born into sin, but it means you are also as an individual born into a world where the air we breathe is sinful and broken. Yeah. Um, and so to your point, what that means is, and this was some of the stuff we were trying to do in the teaching, there are situations and circumstances that you and I did not choose for ourselves that, that are utterly broken. Yeah. And we, we have to reckon with and face the consequences of choices and decisions that were not ours to make. Mm -hmm. And that feels really hopeless, and it feels utterly unfair, which I think is one of the reasons why God changes the story in an utterly unfair way. That mm -hmm. the only person who is without sin, Jesus, mm -hmm. comes and bears the weight of sin, which is so unfair. Yeah. But he does it. He flips the script, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um so that we can breathe again, yeah. you know, so that we can flourish again, both in eternity, uh, but now, here and now, you yeah. know, he's come that we might have life and life to the full. And that's present tense and future tense. It, that strikes me also that this is, you talked about zooming out. There's a big story. So if, if sin is not just hyper individualistic or put another way, super transactional, <laughs> right? It, it's much bigger than that. Yeah. Um, it's not just about me and God. It's about God and the world, God yeah. and his people. Um, then that has some implications. One of the things as you were talking also, you talked about zooming out to the bird's eye, the yeah. bird's eye view. Yeah. And seeing kind of the forest, not yes. just the individual trees. Right. Which is kind of like the grand movements. You talked about the kings and how there was these ebbs and flows through Israel's history. Yeah. Through redemptive history. When I was in seminary, I was working on this this project, and one of the things I had to do in that project was read um, the collected works of black Protestant preachers mm. from post-Civil War to the Civil Rights era. Mm. It was called the lynching era. Mm. Yeah. And it was reading black Protestant preachers in the South yeah. preaching to their congregations hope in the midst of that scenario. Mm. So think about all the resources they had to marshal right. in the middle of a lynching era, black Protestant preachers, right. to bring hope. And it was so rich and theological because you had to go with lament. Yeah. You had to honestly assess the darkness. Yeah. You had to enter into that. You had to give people hope of now and the future. Mm. It was personal. It was corporate. Yes. It was king. Right? Yeah. It reminds me of that Christmas song that we, we sing, Oh Holy Night, where it says, Chains shall he break. Yes. For the slave is our brother, yes. and in his name all oppressions shall cease. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. So it's this very, very big story about God coming and doing a thing. Yeah. And so it's it's very big. Yeah. So what but we lose that sometimes in in our in our in our world. Yeah. We're we're so individualistic we think yes. that what is that how do we reclaim that or is that is that part of also what 
you know, you, you think we need to think about when it comes to Christmas? Yeah, I do. I, it's yeah, it comes back to some of what I said just a, a moment ago. Um, you know, when you think about that era for uh, one for black preachers and pastors and church leaders, but two, just for African-Americans in general. Right. Um, you, you think about and it comes back to the whole premise for the series. You know, you really, really cling to light in in uh, in ways that are more desperate than we we typically do when you're in darkness. Yeah. You know, so we don't appreciate light until we really need light. <laughs> and yeah. you think about that era yeah. and just the plight of African-Americans and the history of our country, right. just as one of many examples. What, yeah, there's lots and lots so of examples. There's a very yeah. clear reason why I think you hear both the depth of desperation in that sort of preaching, but also the sort of communal nature of, of the preaching. Right. That this isn't just about you know, God's going to rescue me, the individual. It is that. But God is going to rescue me, the individual, as I am swept up in his big grand rescue of us as a people. Because you recognize the plight, not just of yourself, but the plight of your people. Yeah. And you recognize how, how you know, how much you need a big grand God mm-hmm. to do a big grand thing. Not just for you, but... For everybody, yeah, you know, and it, it it sort of expands your vision, your horizon of who God is, how powerful He is, because you need Him to be. Yeah, you know, it's one thing to rescue an individual person; it's a whole other thing to rescue a people or a world. You know, yeah, or a world. If God had asked Moses to go to Egypt and rescue one person, it's kind of easy. That would have been a different thing. Yeah. He could have smuggled them out or whatever. Right. Still dangerous, but different. I've seen Argo. I know how that yeah, works. Yeah, <laughs> but totally different because he's like, no, go like rescue my people. Yeah, like the entire. You know, there's no smuggling out of like you have to confront the evil. Yeah, and you know, stand up to um, that which sort of you know binds them. And that's that's a whole other thing. And it's not metaphorical either. I mean, if you think about Joseph and Mary, or even the story of uh, Moses that you just referenced, this is both spiritual oppression and economic and political. I mean, Joseph and Mary have to flee. They have to to flee an evil tyrant. So there's some real edges to this that... The darkness is far more pervasive than just I do bad things and I have a problem. Yeah. Um, and I need to be right with God. This personal transaction. Of course that's true. Yeah. But it's much bigger than that. But as you were talking, it's not just the sovereign. It's really interesting. It it the it's not just the bird's eye view. The story also then refocuses, and we'll get to this, and it, it focuses on real humans. Yeah. And so it, it zooms out to the giant redemptive history, but then it zooms into Mary, yeah, a teenage girl, and Joseph, right, this guy who's like, man, what am I going to do? Yep. And he's trying to act honorably, and he's trying to make honorable choices, but what's he going to do? And it zooms in to individual people, and it reminds me, in my undergraduate days, I studied uh, under, I had a political science degree, and one of the people I studied under was John Dittmer, who was a historian, and he was a wonderful professor, and he had written a book called Local People, and the premise of his book is this thesis, 
that in the United States, the civil rights movement, and also most movements in the modern world, have been done not by presidents and kings and government states, but by local people acting in local settings. Mm. That it's really small. And that kind of reminds me that the redemptive work of God actually starts and begins in little tiny places. Yeah. In in Mary, in right. Joseph, in, in even in the story of Jesus's lineage, it's it, you know, Tamar, it's Rahab, it's yeah. Ruth. It's right. these little tiny stories. Yeah. where God comes to little people. And it reminds me of a quote by Frederick Buechner. I'm going to read this. Yeah. Um and Frederick Buechner is an author and he wrote about this. He said, "In the darkness of a Judean night, in the middle of nowhere, to parents who were nobody, a child was born. Mm. And whoever it was that delivered him slapped his bare backside to mm-hmm. start his breath going. And yeah. he cried out, just as each of us cried out, at the shock and strangeness of being born into the darkness of the world. A child born in the night among beasts, the sweet breath and steaming dung of beasts, and suddenly nothing is the same ever again. Mm-hmm. Nothing is the same ever again. Those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of him again. Once they see this, they can never be sure where he will appear again or to what lengths he will go, to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. Because if the awful power and majesty of God are present in this, the least conspicuous and grand of all events, Mm. the birth of a poor peasant child, if God can come to a stinking stable, then surely he can come to our homes, mm. to our lives. Yeah, and the idea is that there's no place this light cannot shine. Right, and that I think gives us real hope. Like as people, it's yeah. not just the sovereign move of God through history. Yeah, it's that God can come anywhere. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that last line. If God can come to this stinking stable, surely he can come into our homes and our lives. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the things, and we'll talk about this in the in the coming week in the teaching about Emmanuel God yeah, with us. Totally, and, you know the fact that Jesus is born into this into the humblest of conditions. Yeah, you know, certainly intentional. I think in the story, I mean, even prophesied about that uh, the Messiah would come uh, by way of Bethlehem of Ephrathah, which is like, and the the prophecy even says like basically i'm paraphrasing yeah you're like a hodunk no-name town <laughs> it's like you know the messiah will come by way of fresno yeah oh no <laughs> maybe smaller than that oh, no. you know bakersfield what's yeah, worse maybe los banos <laughs> oh, you know yeah. on, the, on the way to i-5 <laughs> and uh it's shocking yeah i mean you would think like new york city San right francisco paris london right you know, the big and, cities, Tokyo. Uh, and yeah. and Bethlehem is a place that lives five, you know, it's a city that's situated five miles south of Jerusalem, which would have been for the Jewish people like the proper place. New York, Manhattan. Right. Jerusalem know, like is the right place. The epicenter. Right. And it's not there. It's not there. It's the just, story redirects us to small people, forgotten people, nobodies, yeah. who God comes to and they... He finds faithful covenant partners yeah. with the most unlikely and least conspicuous of all people. Yeah, we lose it in the modern world because we hear Bethlehem and we think it's awesome. Yeah. Because we have so many songs. Yeah. And so oh, little town of Bethlehem. Yeah, that is. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. 
Yeah. I mean, if you go there now, it's like tourist trap, you know, all day. But at the time... Have you ever been to Bethlehem? No, I haven't. I, I haven't. But yeah. it's what everyone tells... You yeah. Know, understandable, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, the, the birthplace is there of like the a Savior. Se- is there like a senior frogs <laughs> in Bethlehem? Is it like Cozumel or something? <laughs> Probably. I don't know. I don't know. But at the time, first century world, like, it really, like, it's like Los Banos. Like the tiny little no-name... It's a place you pass through, you right. know? And that's where this the king of the universe is born. I mean, it just makes no sense. And... Yeah. That's the whole story. And yeah. Everything about the story is like that. And that's beautiful. Yeah. Because I, I, my life is not New York City or Paris. It's Bethlehem. You yeah. know, it's yeah. ho-dunk, no name, small, insignificant. But God can come into my life because he yeah. comes into those types of places. This is the hope of Advent. Yeah. Final question for you. Yeah. What is your favorite Christmas song that's religious? So you can't do like Holly Jolly Christmas or All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Because that would be everyone's choice. Well, I was gonna I would argue All I Want for Christmas is You is religious. <laughs> <laughs> All I want for Christmas is you. Just a religious experience listening to Mariah sing it, because you know how pro Mariah I am. <laughs> oh man, that's a good one. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've always been. I, was, I love Christmas songs. Uh, I've always, I've always been very uniquely moved by "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." Mm. And that word, Emmanuel, we'll talk about it yeah. in this coming week's teaching. Is there a version or someone who sings it that, that you particularly like? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't think so. You know, I don't listen to a lot of, like, Christmas albums, per se, except, yeah. like, our Spotify Christmas classics or Christmas sure. hits list. In my house right now, this is so funny, my kids love Last Christmas by Wham. <laughs> Which is actually a really sad song, but not, they, they not, just think it's awesome. Yes. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, but the very next day, you gave it away. They have yes. no idea what it means, so that's, that's on, hilarious. That's, on, that's been on repeat as we've decorated our tree and stuff, so. But yeah, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I love it. That's good. Yeah. Well, as as we close, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include a version which I find particularly interesting. It's by Ed Cash. Alan Levi and Bebo Norman. It's my favorite version of a Come, Come Emmanuel. So I'm gonna, go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that with people as they enter into this season. I love it. And then we're then we're gonna play Wham's Last Christmas <laughs> for your kids, so they'll listen to the podcast. It'll be great. And we'll do uh, Taylor Swift's remake of Wham's. So it'll be. Did she done. really remake? She did. Wow. Uh, my daughter, Is it like slow and moody? No. My. <laughs> I can't imagine her singing that song. With it, that. It's, it's very peppy. My okay. daughter played it for me. She's like, Daddy, I love this song. And I'm like, she's like, it's Taylor Swift. I'm it's like, heartbreak. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Taylor Swift does know about heartbreak. This is true. All right. Well, Jay, thanks for spending time with us. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yep.
All right, well, thanks for listening to The Afterword. Thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. And as promised, I'm going to leave you with my favorite rendition of Jay's favorite Christmas song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is an acapella version recorded by Ed Cash, Alan Levi, and Bebo Norman off their Joy Christmas album, which is years and years. I think it's like 19, late 90s, 1997. Anyway, I love it. I love the difference in their voices, and I hope you enjoy it too. And if you don't, well, just fast forward to the end and go listen to Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Anyway, it's a, that's... That's probably, you just do that and then you'll be in a good mood. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.
Shall 